Please turn with me to Exodus chapter 35. We're going to be, uh, Lord willing, finishing up the book of Exodus this morning. And as we turn to Exodus 35, I encourage you to be preparing your heart for the Lord's Supper that we're going to be taking at the end of our, our time together this morning as we respond to the truths of God's Word that we encounter here in these chapters Exodus chapter 35, and uh, if you're able to, if you would stand with me in honor of God as we read his word, I'm going to read a little bit from chapter 35 and a little bit from 36 and a little bit from the end of the book of Exodus. Let's begin in verse 4. Remember earlier in the book of Exodus, Moses has described the tabernacle that they're to build, and then we come to verse 4 of Exodus 35. Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins and goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and stones for setting, for the ephod and for the breastpiece. Let every skilled craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded, the tabernacle, its tents and its coverings, its hooks and its frames, its bars, its pillars and its bases, the ark with its poles, the mercy seat and the veil of the screen, the table with its poles and all its utensils and the bread of the presence, the lampstand also for the light with its utensils and its lamps and oil for the light, and the altar of incense, with its poles and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense and the screen for the door at the door of the tabernacle. The altar of burnt offering with its grating of bronze, its poles and all its utensils, the basin and its stand, the hangings of the court, its pillars and its bases and the screen for the gate of the court, the pegs of the tabernacle and the pegs of the court and their cords, the finely worked garments for ministry in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments of his son for their service as priests. Then all the congregation, verse 20, of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. Go to chapter 36, verse 2, And Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab, and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him up to come to do the work. And they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary, they still kept bringing him freewill offerings every morning so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from the task that he was doing, and said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave command, and the word was proclaimed throughout the camp, let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. 
then turn to Exodus 40 as we see the conclusion. The intervening chapters describe the construction and the fulfillment of Moses' instructions earlier. And then it says Moses finished the work in verse 33. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. You may be seated. May God encourage and strengthen us through his word this morning. And Father, we do ask again for your grace on us as we look at your word. We thank you for your son Jesus and pray this in his name. Amen. This morning I'm going to be calling on you to do some radical things, uh, encouraging you to do some things that some of us may not have the courage to do. So my prayer is that we would not be fearful, but that we would be willing to do the exciting and terrifying things that God calls us as a church, as a community of faith, to do. In the 1870s, a man named Sam Andrews worked for Standard Oil, and he approached his boss, John D. Rockefeller, and he told Rockefeller that he wasn't really happy with how the business was being run. Rockefeller listened to him, and Andrews was a very important man in the company. He owned about 16, 17% of Standard Oil. He was one of the founding members and he was worried because Rockefeller was, was taking the profits of the company and continuing to pour most of them back into the company. And Andrews kind of thought that the people who were profit, you know, the shareholders, should receive some of the profits. And so he's, he's complaining to Rockefeller. I think Rockefeller is being a little too aggressive, a little risky. And Rockefeller says, look, Andrews, uh, do you want me just to, to buy you out? You seem unhappy with how the company is being run. Let me just buy you out. And Andrews thinks about it and says, yeah, I think that's a good idea. And so Rockefeller says, well, how much do you want for your shares? Andrews thinks about it and says, I want a million dollars. Rockefeller says, okay, see, see me tomorrow. Let me think about it for 24 hours. And the next day, Rockefeller says, you know, here's your check. Here's a million dollars. He buys the shares from Andrews, takes them, and sells them to Vanderbilt for $1,300,000. And Andrews hears about this, and he's, he's kind of upset, and Rockefeller says, look, you, you want back in? I'll sell them right back to you for the same price that I gave you, and we'll, we'll just call it even, and Andrews thinks about it for a minute. He's kind of upset at Rockefeller. He's fearful of what the future holds. He doesn't have the same vision that Rockefeller has for the, the greatness of what Standard Oil could become, and so he says, no, I'll just... I'll just keep my million dollars. He takes that money and builds a, a beautiful mansion. But within a few decades, by the, by the 1920s, the mansion had to be destroyed, and the shares that he sold were worth nearly a billion dollars. You, know. you can imagine 
what he and his children missed out on. Sometimes you call on people to do hard, difficult things with their resources with, with a view that something better is on the horizon. As we talk about giving in a church, it can be a little bit uncomfortable. Giving not just of our finances, but of our, our time and our skills, our abilities, it can be a little bit uncomfortable. And yet when I, I come to a passage like Exodus 35 and, and see the fruit of what happens when people give in chapters 36 through 40, uh, frankly, I, I get excited. I'm excited about the opportunity that is before us as the people of God. Calling people to do difficult things leads to tremendous rewards. And the reality as a church is that we, as we give as part of the community of faith to each other and give to the Lord's work through the ministries of our church, God can allow us to participate in glorious things. And sadly, sadly, some of us will miss out on the opportunity of seeing God glorified through our use of our talents and our things. It would make me incredibly sad if someday we realized as a church all that we could have done as people of God, all that we could have accomplished, and, and, and fall short of that. That would make me sad. And so I want us to think about this this morning. Kind of the main thing that I want us to grasp as we go through this passage is, is just this. Glorious things happen. Glorious things happen when a generous God abundantly gives to motivated people. In other words, when you, when you take a generous God and you combine that, that generous God with with motivated givers, rightly motivated givers, when a generous God lavishes his gifts upon rightly motivated givers, the, the fruit is going to be glorious things. Glorious things happen when a generous God gives abundantly to motivated givers. And so we're going to walk through this passage, and what I hope happens is you and I get rightly motivated to give of ourselves and of our resources to, to one another and to the Lord's ministries because we want to see God's name glorified. We're going to look at the characteristics of, of different things here in these chapters and I hope arrive at that conclusion that we want to be rightly motivated to give as we realize that God has given to us so that we can joyfully give. So let's look at three things. First of all, let's look at a generous God. Let's look at a generous God in verses 1 through 19. And in verses 1 through 19, there's a command that is given and as we, we see this command, I want to look at kind of three things about this command that help us understand some things about a generous God. The first thing I want us to think about is the command's source. Where does the instruction in verses 1 through 19, or really 4 through 19, come from? And we see in verse 4 that it comes from God. It says in verse 4, Moses says to the congregation of Israel, this is what the, the Lord has commanded. This is the thing that the Lord has commanded, that Yahweh has commanded. And what, is, what has God done so far? As we think about the source of this command being God, what has God done so far in the book of Exodus? He's a God who has delivered his people from bondage. 
He's a God who we saw in the message last week as a gracious God, as a compassionate God. He's a God who lavishes forgiveness. And so this, this, la- this God who is generous, who delivers his people, who lavishes his kindness upon his people, he's also a God who's promised to deliver the people to the promised land. He's the God who owns all things. The earth is his and all that it contains. In the book of Romans, we, we see Paul say, who has given a gift to God that he might be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things. In other words, this command comes from a God who owns everything. It's impossible to give a gift to God because anything you give to God came from God and is sustained by God and is his already. You can't repay God anything. And so this, the source of this command is, in a, a, is from a generous God who owns all things. Now what's the next thing we see about the command? We, we see something about the command's recipients. Who, who is this command given to? Well, look at verse 5. He says, this, this is what the word commanded. Take from among you, so it's, it's this, this large group of people, the people of Israel, a contribution to the Lord. But it's, so it's, it's inclusive, it's, it's, it's extensive in terms of, of who can participate, who can receive this command, and yet there's also an exclusivity to this command. It's not every person in Israel. Look what he says. It says, those who are of generous heart. There's a, a subsection that this command is specifically addressed to the command's recipients are those who are generous. God doesn't want people giving to the construction of the tabernacle who are coerced into giving. He doesn't want people to say, you know what, um, everyone else is giving. Uh, okay, let's figure out what we can do. Let's figure out what the minimum contribution limit here is here. Or, you know, our neighbors, they're helping out at the, at the tabernacle doing these things. We're, we should probably do something. Let's, let's get this thing over with. Now, the command's recipients are those who understand who God is, who this instruction is, is coming from, the source of this command, and they recognize his value and his beauty, and they, they respond to that. They, they want to give. They're of a generous heart. There's, there's an internal motivation to respond here. Now we see the contents of the command. What are the command's contents? He says, everyone needs to give in a way that a generous God has equipped him or her to give. Look again at the text. He says, let him bring, and then he gives various things that they can give. And then verse 10 let the skill, skillful craftsmen among you come and, and do these things. In other words, and we're going to see this more as we look at how the people respond, the command is that everyone needs to give in the way that, that God has equipped them to give. This, this vision for the tabernacle has been given. They understand that the source is in God, this gracious, compassionate God who is doing good things for them. And now the people who rightly understand that should use whatever gifts God has given and respond by participating. And only those people. You know, 1 John 5 says this in, in verse 2. God says, 
by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. And then in verse 3 of 1 John 5, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Do you you believe that to be true as you think about God's commandments? When you think about the things that God has instructed you to do, would you say, yeah, those, those things are not burdensome? The point is here that the people of Israel, as they respond to this instruction to, to, to give, are to be people who say, you know what, this, this command by God is not a burden to me because I know that God loves me. He's this gracious, compassionate God. He's given me these things in the first place, and now I'm going to use the things that he's given me in the way that he wants them used. And this isn't a burden. This is a joy. As a parent... You know that very frustrating feeling you get when you hear your children arguing with one another about possessions, right? Maybe this is just in in the Bennett household, but we have some children who sometimes get very confused about the nature of ownership in our house. So when the kids were younger, maybe we have a kid who grabs, just literally grabs a toy out of the hands of another kid and says, mine, that word, mine. Or as they get older, you might hear at our house on rare occasions when our children aren't completely obedient to the Lord, you might hear a child say something like, well, why don't you just get out of my room? Boy, when I hear that phrase, get out of my room, it just, it just makes my skin crawl, right? First of all, just because it's, you know, it's destroying my peace, and I don't like my peace destroyed, and that's, that's not very, a very right reaction on my part. But also, just, it just, the theology seems so off in that statement, right? A child who is in a house that that mom and I have provided for them, free of charge, uh, paid the, the heating bill that this child is currently enjoying, um, put food in the mouth that's currently saying these, these mean things to their sibling, clothed this child, is, is now saying, get out of my room. The whole thing just strikes me as, as crazy, right? Or the child who says, mine. You know, what do you mean mine? I paid for that thing. I gave it to you. What do you mean mine? Give me a break. So whenever we encounter those situations in our house, we, we have a little theology lesson, right? No, that doesn't belong to you. It belongs ultimately to God. But after God, it's mom, dads, okay, or moms. <laughs> then you have like third level ownership. And that's, you know, tenuous at best, right? God God is a generous God, and he's, he's given us things. And so a, a wrong theology says, you know what, okay, I'm, I have these things, and I know I need to do some nice things for people in the church. I need to do some nice things for missions or ministry or God wants. So here, here's mine. He's given me all of it. Here's mine, so I'm going to give him a little portion. No, this is what I'm saying. God wants, God wants us to understand that his ownership goes far beyond that. This command source is God. And it's not like these things are mine and these things are God. This, the, all that I have, everything, every number in a bank account belongs to God. Every ability that I have belongs to God. Every relationship that I have belongs to God. There's nothing beyond God's ownership. And everything that he has given to me to, to use as his steward is to be used in line with how he would use it. And that is not a burdensome instruction. That is an instruction from a God who loves me and is compassionate and is gracious. 
So there's, there's two questions for application. One, ap- one question for application would be, does this command apply to me? Does the command to give, a command that we see in the Old Testament and repeated in the New Testament, does this command apply to me? And if you are a person who says, I do not find and cannot imagine finding joy in giving to God of my, my time or my resources, if that's your hard attitude, then th- this command is not for you. It's a command for believers. People whose hearts have been transformed by the gospel and recognize that everything they have is from God. Most importantly, eternal life. And a second question of application is, if this command is to me, am I being obedient? Am I being obedient to this command? And to help ourselves understand the answer to that question, we ask another question. Is is the way that I'm using my resources how God would use them? If he were in my position, is this, is this in line with what he would spend his time doing? Is this in line with how he would use these financial resources that he's given? And if the answer is no, and you say, okay, it's, I'm not being obedient, I want to grow, how can we grow? Let's, let's look secondly then at motivated givers, this next section, the motivated givers. There's probably, Moses gives this instruction, there's probably this, this moment of tension. Verse 20 says, Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. And you can imagine them going home and having conversations. Okay, you know, Moses said this, what should we do? Here's this vision for the tabernacle. God has instructed us. He's been gracious. He said, what do we do? And you can imagine Moses and maybe the other leaders being a little bit nervous. There's this vision for the tabernacle. God says, this is the tabernacle you're supposed to build. And now they're wondering how the people of God are going to respond. I can remember whenever we were getting ready to to plant the church and kind of had had made a lot of the final decisions. We'd rented out five points. And there's that moment of, of, quite frankly, a little bit of fear. How are people going to respond to this? How is this this going to, what's going to happen? What happens is, is something beautiful. The people of God respond, and they respond in a, a huge way. Now, let, let's look at some of the characteristics of these effective, motivated givers. The first characteristic we see in the text is, is these givers are willing givers. They're not coerced. Look at verses 21 and 22. I, 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 love, I love these two verses. It says they, they came. It says these are, again, it's, there's, there's inclusiveness and exclusiveness. It's, it's everyone. It's every single person, but now, now it's exclusive. It's those whose heart stirred him. So every single person whose heart stirred, respond. Everyone whose spirit moved him, brought to the Lord's contribution. Verse 22, it says, all who were of a, a willing heart brought, and it says all these things that they brought. In other words, these givers are, are rightly motivated. Now, a wrongly motivated giver is, is motivated by things like guilt and obligation and a sense of pride. You know, I'm, I'm going to carry all, this, all these, this fine twine linen and, and put it down into the, before the tent of meeting. I'm going to, to bring the goat hair. I'm going to bring all this stuff. You know, that, that's a wrong motivation. That's not how these people gave. It's not out of a sense of, of personal pride. It's internally motivated desire to give to the Lord and his work. There's a vision that has been given to the people, 
to have God's name proclaimed. And they understand, as I, as I give these things, as I use my time to help craft these things, I'm, I'm proclaiming the glory of God in his name. Think about Psalm 67. Psalm 67 is a beautiful psalm. In it, the psalmist asks that God would financially, physically bless his people. He says, he asks, he's, I think he's talking here about, about God's face shine upon them in the terms of a, of a bountiful harvest. He says, do this so that your, your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all the nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and, and sing for joy, for you judge the people with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Now, is that a vision that a person who's rightly motivated can get behind to give? Yeah. The idea that as I can use my temporal, my, my temporal physical resources for eternal glory, and as I, I give to the Lord and his work and his ministry and his people, that, that e- eternal things can happen, is that an exciting thing for the people of God? Yeah. That's pretty exciting. A first characteristic of, motivated, of, of effective motivated givers is that they're, they're willing givers. They're excited givers for the right reasons. Another characteristic here is they give in ways that are appropriate to the gifts that God has given them. The focus here is on both men and women, right, as they give. But not everyone donated yarn. Verse 23 says it was, it was the, the people with yarn who donated it. In other words, you had yarn, you gave it. You didn't have yarn, you didn't give yarn. It wasn't everyone who gave silver or bronze. It was, it was those who could, verse 24. Not every person donated acacia wood, just those who had it. Not every woman spun the yarns in fine twine linen, just the skilled ones, verse 25. Not everyone gave silver or bronze. It was those who could. It, it wasn't everyone who gave the stones for the ephods, the breastpiece. It, it was the leaders. It was those who had the resources to donate those stones. The people here are motivated, and they respond in ways appropriate to the gifts that God has given them. As an aside here, you know, I, I believe that, that our church has, has done really well in this area in a lot of ways. I think, I think the average person at our church is, is giving and is giving in a way that, that's, that's appropriate to what God is, has given them with. And In fact, I, I have kind of a cardinal rule about, you know, when I'm in the pulpit and mentioning things, I, I'm very careful about not, not mentioning, very, I'm very careful about what I mention in terms of needs, either for other people in the church or my family. And I, I broke a cardinal rule last week. Wow, did I break a cardinal rule. I, I mentioned that Ellie was looking for a guinea pig. <laughs> By the time I went to bed last week, we had offers of three guinea pigs. Um, by this morning, there's been five offers of guinea pigs. Ellie now has a guinea pig. Uh, broke a cardinal. Don't mention, you know, our, our church is so ready to give, especially guinea pigs, apparently. Um, Whitney, Whitney <laughs> right after church, she said, Daniel, Daniel, Daniel. Uh, <laughs> our community of faith has, is full of willing givers. Another characteristic here is is givers here build up others through their service. And, and I won't talk too much about this, but, but notice as you go into the end of chapter 35, 
there's this instruction that the people who are doing the work are to, to teach, verse 34. That they're, they're to teach others. And so as, you, as a, a person who's a rightly motivated giver, an effective giver, does their ministry, they're, they're not just kind of doing this, this ministry in isolation, but there's this way in which they give or there's this way in which they serve that other people are, are learning how to do it. You, you watch a person who is giving generously, and I want to kind of give like that. You see a person who is serving in the nursery, I want to kind of serve like that. You, you watch how other people give and, it, and of their time, their talents, and it motivates you to give as well. They recognize another characteristic here of these effective givers. They recognize their gifts are from God. These, these are God-given gifts. And one of the most, it says here that God gave them skill and intelligence and knowledge. Uh, chapter 36 says they work, see, these are people, these are craftsmen in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do the work. Brothers and sisters, one of the most sad things we can do is to take the skills that God has given us and fail to use them in service of others. To take the leadership ability or the the craft ability, the financial resources, and, and fail to use them as God would have us use them. Many of us are really good at hobbies. We're really good at spending money on hobbies. We're really good at learning how to, how to do a hobby. We've learned how to, how to fish or golf or hunt. or We've learned how to, to work our video gaming system. We've learned how to set up our entertainment system. We've learned how to do a lot of hobbies. And, and if we're able to do that, if, if I'm able to, to learn how to run a race, Surely I'm able to learn how to serve in Awana. If I'm able to, to learn how to do some, some model buildings, surely I have the ability to learn how to disciple other men, right? When I say that I'm calling you to radical things, I'm calling you to say, look, if, if God has given me these abilities, these abilities, and again, it's not wrong to have a hobby, it's not wrong to enjoy free time, it's not wrong, but if God has given me these abilities and I, I, I fail to use them to, to serve others, even as I enjoy them, what good is that? What a squandered, wasted opportunity. Which relates to kind of this fifth characteristic of effective, motivated givers, that they give lavishly and relentlessly because they view it as a, a privilege to give. I love what we see in these, these first seven verses of chapter 36, Right? There's been this call, and the people begin to respond. Some people give this way. Some people give that way. Some people are, are giving uh, of these, these physical resources. Other people are helping craft things. And the people who are in charge, the craftsmen who have been in, entrusted with the task of building the different things in the tabernacle, come to Moses, and they're like, Moses, man, it's too much. We've got to stop. We don't even know what we're going to do with all the stuff that we have. We, we, need, we, need to, we need to tell people, just back off a little bit. Brothers and sisters, this is how the people of God give. The people of God give lavishly and extravagantly because they're motivated. They want God to take their resources and they want to be a part of glorifying his name. Can you imagine the disappointment? 
of seeing a completed tabernacle. I don't want to get too far ahead. And seeing the glory of the Lord descend upon this tabernacle. And, and can you imagine the disappointment of thinking, I wasn't a part of that. Oh, I wish it's too late now. I believe that God, again, has filled our church with, with generous people. But surely none of us would, would be so foolish as to say there, there's no way that I can improve on this, right? <laughs> what does it mean when a church lacks things? I, I, I was kind of thinking through this, and, and sometimes it is because we don't love God as we ought to. Sometimes it's because we lack vision. We don't think, okay, if I, if I, if I use my resources this way, these, these neat fruits can happen, these glorious things can happen. Sometimes it's, it's leaders' fault. I think sometimes leaders fail to adequately communicate to the people that they're asking to give. Here's, here's how your serving in children's church can, can glorify God into eternity. Sometimes that vision isn't communicated very clearly. Sometimes, sometimes leaders maybe call people to give to things that God hasn't called them to give, and so leaders have to, to, to pull back. But all of us, I think, can say, this is an area that I can grow in. I can grow in my ability to give my time, my resources, my abilities. And I, you know, when I, when I, was, I was thinking about this part of the message even this morning, thinking, okay, now, now what, specific, you know, what specific application can I give here? And I, think it's, I think it's hard to do. Because I, I can't say everyone needs to be a greeter. Because, I mean, some of you, you're very surly and should not be greeters in, in a church. Um, some of you, you know, there's no ministry that I could say everyone should be involved in ministry, whatever. Debbie Joe says children's ministry. That might be the one exception to this. But besides that, what, 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 there's no ministry you can say everyone needs to do this. There's no financial, you know, if it says, well, how much should I give? You know, what should I give? What, are the, the vi- what does the church need and, and how can we give and what number should we give? And there's no number you can say everyone needs to give this number or this percentage because for some people, you, you shouldn't be giving anything. The church needs to be giving to you right now until you're able to, to be in a place where you can give. I don't know where everyone is, but that may be where some people are. And then some people, if I threw out a really high number, it would still be too low for where God has, has placed you. So I don't don't have specifics, but I would say that this hard attitude of giving, being excited about giving, and giving lavishly needs to be where we all are. So let's look at this last thing. What happens when you have a generous God who lavishes gifts upon motivated, generous givers? What happens is glorious fruit. Let's look at the glorious fruit that, are, that occurs in chapters 36 through 40. And there's, there's two things that I want to give as examples here of, of the fruit that happens. The first is something kind of small, and the, first, and then the second is something big. The first thing that I want you to think about is, is in chapter 39. So we're in 36, kind of turn to chapter 39. And a, a few years ago, I'm not exactly sure when, but it was a little while ago, my, my family was reading through the book of Exodus, and we're reading a chapter a night, and I'm just... Just um, very transparently here, some of our family was struggling reading these chapters. The construction of the tabernacle was not as captivating a read as, as you might think. Right? 
So chapter 30, so one night we read chapter 37, and the family's like, okay. Then we read chapter 38, the making of the altar, the making of the bronze basin, the making of the, the court, the materials for the, tab, the tabernacle. And, and you know, it's, it's, it, it was plotting a little bit for some of us. I'm not saying it should have been. I'm not saying I was doing a good job leading the family and, and helping them see the beauty of the word, but that's, that's where our family was. And then we came to chapter 39 one night. And we started reading chapter 39, and our youngest daughter was reading it first, and she started reading, beginning of verse 1, from the blue and the purple and the scarlet yarns they made, finely woven garments for ministry in the holy place. They made the holy garments for Aaron, as the Lord had commanded Moses. And she read, reads verse 2, he made the ephod of gold, blue and, bar- and purple and scarlet yarns, and fine twine linen. She kept reading, and they hammered out gold leaf, and he cut into the threads to work in the blue and the purple and the scarlet yarns, and into the fine twine linen. <laughs> and we stopped and said, uh, Ellie, sweetie, first of all, it's, it's linen, not linen. Secondly, why are you singing it? Why are you singing linen, fine twine linen? She goes, it just sounds so pretty. It just sounds so beautiful. Okay. Fine twine linen occurs like 17 times in these chapters. <laughs> seven times. Seven times in this chapter. And the rest of the family, every time any of us read fine twine, we didn't say, we, fine twine linen. <laughs> including chapter, including verse 28 that mentions the undergarments being made of fine twine linen. And the, that was quite. My, my point is, she caught something. I was missing. This was beautiful. This was pretty. And what's being described in these chapters is, is something pretty. And where did they get fine twine? I'm sorry. Where did they get fine twine linen? Where, where, where did that come from? It came from the people. Remember, they, they've left Egypt. They don't know when they're going to arrive in the promised land. Their resources are limited. And what do they do? They give lavishly. The fact that there is fine twine linen mentioned 17 times in these verses is an amazing, beautiful thing. That's a glorious fruit of generous people because it shows that they love God. And there's gold and there's all the things that they needed, they got, and more. The, the presence of fine twine linen is a beautiful thing. And it's a testimony to the glory of God. There's also glorious fruit in the very conclusion of chapter 40. Remember last week there was a danger that the people of God would miss out on the presence of God. And Moses is, is so concerned. He says, look, God, if you're not going to go with us, if, if your presence isn't going to be here, forget it. We don't want any part of it. But now, you have, you have a generous God, a compassionate God who gives this command. The, the people respond to this command. They, they give lavishly, these motivated givers, because they love the glory of God. And when a generous God is combined with motivated, effective givers, there's glorious fruit. And the fruit here is God's glory itself. It says, as Moses finishes this work, The cloud covers the tent of meeting. The glory of the Lord fills the tabernacle. And Moses is not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And look, look at verse 
36, throughout all their journeys, God's there. Wherever the cloud was taken up from over the, over, the over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, they did not set out until the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. I want us to think about that as we turn our hearts to prepare for the Lord's Supper. In fact, I'd invite the, the men who are going to be passing out the elements to, to make their way uh, to the front here. As we prepare our hearts to partake of the Lord's Supper, I want us to, to ask the, the questions I, I mentioned earlier. Is this instruction to be a, a generous giver, an effective giver, a motivated giver? Is that to me? And, and how effective ha- have I been in being obedient to God in this area? James tells us that every good and perfect gift is, is from above. And what I'm going to ask you to do is, as we partake of the Lord's Supper together is, is, is just take this, this time of silence as we pass out the elements to ask God to reveal to you in your heart those areas in which you are not viewing the things that he's given you rightly. Maybe it's the numbers in your bank account, maybe it's, maybe it's some, the way you, you spend and budget your money, maybe it's the time, maybe, it's, maybe you, you know that God has gifted you to, to care for others and yet you've withdrawn, you're not investing in the lives of other people. Ask God just to reveal, Father, what is it? What is it that, that of, the, of the things you've given me to steward, what is it that I'm I'm clinging to and and not stewarding in the way that you would have me to. And then before we partake of the Lord's Supper together, I'm going to ask you to commit, to commit to be obedient to God in whatever area it is that he's revealed to you. We know that we have the ability to come before God because of his gift of eternal life. All things come from him and through him and are to him. Help, my prayer is that we would be willing to be radically obedient to God and whatever he shows us.